0: Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast, the show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina, owner of Quotable Media Co., a PR and media company. After nearly 10 years of building a PR agency, I've learned a lot about business and entrepreneurship, but the most valuable things have always come through conversation with other women who have been in it too, and I want to share all of that with you. So sit back, fill your coffee cup up, and listen in. I'm really thrilled to be talking with Miriam Schulman here today. Um, she is the author of the book coming out very soon, hopefully when this episode goes live, called Artpreneur, which is, well, I'll let her tell you what it is, but basically all about making a living as either an artist or a creative person, right, Miriam?
1: Yeah, so i am an artist and i made my living as a portrait artist for 20 years but when it came time to write the book uh my agent and my publisher we all wanted to make sure that this book was very inclusive so once you broaden the definition of artist to include ceramicist dancer actor, author, then you can really put anything into that blank for what art is. So it's really making a living from your creative ideas.
0: Oh, I love that. Okay. So I want to hear, I mean, I think that's such a needed like topic and, and teaching an area that people need to learn more about and be able to figure out. Um, I want to back up just for a minute before we kind of go into more of that, but just tell us a little more about your actual background as an artist. Like how did you actually get started with what everything you do and like, what led you up, like, tell us a little more, more about what led up to actually deciding to write your book.
1: Okay. So, so many things. So I I'm going to like take lots of breaks and let you interrupt me. Okay. Sure. Does that sound fair? All <laughs> yeah. right. So like many people, I always wanted to be an artist, but I was told that you can't make a living that way. Mm-hmm. And being from a single parent household, being on financial aid in college, uh, not making a living wasn't an option. And the, I I believed when people said you can't make a living this way, I believed them. So I said, all right, well, if I have to make money, where do I make the most money as possible? And all roads led to Wall Street. So I found myself wow. on Wall Street. <laughs>
0: okay, that's a really the op-
1: opposite direction. I,
0: like I wasn't <laughs> expecting that.
1: Well, there was no, if you like art, then do this. I was like, yeah. well, I, I was just like, okay, I have to make money, fine, where is that? Wow. Okay. Now, what led me to where we are today, though, is I started off working at a very um, prestigious uh, hedge fund, and well, actually, I did not start off there. I started off at Solomon Brothers on in the World Trade Center, and I followed them to a hedge fund. But after I was pregnant with my second child, I needed time away, and I always thought I would go back. But after 9-11 happened, I took that as a sign for the universe not to go back mm. and to do something different with my life. And it wasn't obvious to me at first that it would be art, which now looking back, it feels so obvious because that's what I've done. But in the beginning, I, I didn't really see what the path was. Mm. And it wasn't until... Uh, so my first foray is like okay i'm not going to go back to wall street what am i going to do well i like pilates maybe i'll be a pilates instructor so and it was working for one of these large gyms where they wanted me to sell personal training packages and getting that sales training that i had my aha moment i was like oh this is it's selling is just a skill so i can sell anything And then I decided I wasn't going to waste my time selling personal training packages. I'm going to sell the portraits. So that changed everything for me. And then were you doing
0: some art in the background all the time? Like, were you doing it just personally, like for yourself, even when you were working on Wall Street?
1: Yes. So I always believed I was an artist. So that was something that identity came to me when I was in the fourth grade. I was a new student in school. And my fourth grade teacher declared me the class artist. And I I don't know that there was any evidence (laughs) that I had any kind of artistic ability. And the task that she gave me was really just gluing toothpicks onto our jack-o'-lantern, like our class jack-o'-lantern. That's what being the class artist meant. But from that moment on, she declared me an artist and I chose to believe her. And so that's why chapter one of my book is choose to believe because these power sentences that we tell ourselves, this is, this is really, what's the most important thing is your mindset. Mm -hmm. I choose to be whatever it is that you want to be in your life. You choose it. So if you say
0: you are an artist, then you can make that like work for you. Like make that actually be like, I can choose to be an artist who makes a career out of it and makes money from it and not exactly. just like, oh, I dabble in painting or paint just for fun
1: or something like that. Is that what you mean? Yes. So if you tell yourself you paint just for fun, that is the sentence that you are believing that will be your result. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh, I mean, I see that in anything too, like obviously it's not just for art, which I, I know is kind of what you're saying, but like that's that's right. I've seen that in so many people's businesses and lives and everything really like, yeah. If somebody sets out and they're like, this is what I do. Like I am a, this kind of person, it's like,
1: oh yeah, that's true. That's right. And I think that um, organic marketing 101 is really telling everybody in your life who you are and that identity. Cause first of all, It helps you practice that so-called elevator pitch. So you really refine your message in two sentences. If if it takes more than two sentences, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And then it's also telling yourself so that you own it. So you don't have that imposter syndrome creeping in. And you're also telling the universe. And when I say these sentences matter, I'm saying it less from that law of attraction perspective, like you say it and then you're manifesting it. I'm saying it because you're acting, when you act from that place of 100% belief, your actions will be different than when you're acting from a place of doubt. Yes,
0: totally. I I totally agree. I think people can, people feel that too. Like, even if it's not just like how... Uh, like how um you know how how much they it, it sounds real when you say it but like people can really feel that I tell people that too when we're so my like my business at, besides this podcast is a PR agency and when we work with especially people who are just getting started for the first time or like haven't really put themselves out there like that I I, there's this whole mindset piece to it that I try to bring them through first too, because I'm like, if you are not feeling a hundred percent confident or not even like a hundred percent, but you know, a certain amount confident in what you're doing and saying and putting yourself out there, like the writers or whoever you're pitching yourself to totally feel it. And nobody wants yeah. to be a part of that. Like, they're not going to be like, oh yes, I need to like cover this person or I need to tell their story.
1: Like there's just something about it where you, you just don't get the responses. No. And it's funny because it's not even the exact words you use. It's like, there's a residue. It's kind of like if something has a bad smell to it, yeah. <laughs> like when you don't believe right it, in it in yourself, do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. And it's funny. Cause yeah, I try to like put it into words and explain it in ways that that people can understand and make make changes, you know, or, or try to get that confidence or whatever it is to, to not, you know, be in that space and to be in the space where people really will buy into it and believe them and want to support them in it. But it's, yeah, it can be hard to kind of explain and tangibly, tangibly talk them through it or walk them through it. Is that something that you talk about? More in the book, like what to do besides like creating these maybe sent power sentences. Is that what you said? Power sentences?
1: Yeah. I, I don't actually call it power sentences in the book, but um, yes. So the thing that I do talk about in the book is the belief triad. And I think there this is the missing piece that a lot of people don't get and nobody seems to be teaching. So the belief triad is the belief in yourself, which we, we t- just talked about. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the first part. The second part of that triad is belief in whatever it is that you're offering the world. And you have to believe in that so fiercely that you truly believe the world will miss out <laughs> if they don't, if they don't get what you have. Mm -hmm. But the third part that people do not talk about, and this is the missing piece, is you have to have belief in your buyer, belief in the audience, belief that they will appreciate what it is that you have Mm -hmm. to offer. And that is the piece that I think people don't get and stops them. They're thinking too much about themselves and
0: like what it means for them to make this sale kind of.
1: Yeah. Okay. So a great way to explain this is with the movie Pretty Woman. So most of my references are from the 90s because I'm not a millennial. I'm a little bit old. (laughs)
0: That's okay. I think we've all seen Pretty Woman, too. Okay. All right. (laughs)
1: We'll go with it. So for those who haven't seen it, so uh, Julia Roberts is essentially playing a hooker and Richard Gere wants her to dress a little nicer so she could be the ladylike escort for the week. He hands her his gold card, sends her to Rodeo Drive. But the mean salespeople won't wait on her. Why? Because they don't believe in her, the buyer. So now Julia Roberts goes off. She She's able to buy beautiful clothes at different stores. She comes back beautifully dressed, full of shopping bags, and says to those original boutique people, uh, remember me? Do you work on commission? Big mistake. However, how many times have we done that? How many times have we been on a sales call where we said, oh, they can't afford it. Oh, they don't wanna buy what I have. Oh, they don't wanna pay my prices. We're being like those mean salespeople. Hmm. Hmm. That's how how we sabotage ourselves. We don't believe in them. So it's not just believing in yourself. So like with the salesperson example, she didn't, she believed in herself. She believed in the clothes and her boutique. She didn't believe in Julia Roberts. So that is the piece sometimes that people forget is you have to believe in your buyer. That's a great point.
0: It's a great point. Cause like, yeah, you, you have no idea what's, what the situation is or what's going on behind the scenes or what money they have that you can't tell. Exactly.
1: Like, oh. like you can, like, you can't be judgy about it and you don't know. Yeah even when they tell you things, sometimes I'll be sitting there thinking, I don't believe them. Like this is, oh, it's expensive. And I'll just sit there. But I believe in them so hard that they're like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Whatever it happens to be, whether it's commissioning for a painting or signing up for a coaching package. It's really just believing in them wanting what you have.
0: Mm, Yeah. And obviously like, I mean, expensive is so subjective anyways, (laughs) depending on who you're talking to, or somebody might think something's expensive and it's, you know, totally different than what someone else thinks is expensive or even what you think is expensive. I think one of the best bits of like business advice that somebody gave me once years ago was, um, something around like, you can't, i can't i can't remember like the phrase but i've carried like the the that basic idea with me for a long time like you just can't try to base anything around what you think somebody else is going to think your your service is worth or how much they're going to be able to afford or what they're going to think it's worth to them because you just really it's not your problem like that's not your responsibility you just have to it's kind of what you said Like you have to believe that they're going to either think that the value is there that they can afford it or obviously not and they're not your customer or they're not your client
1: but yeah and what's going What's impact. going through the mind of the customer, and this this is in the book in detail, I have an overcoming objection section where if they are um, sharing with you, um, I can't afford it, it's too expensive. So what, what is going through their mind? Most of the time, they're not trying to decide if you, Alessandra, is worth it or if me, Miriam Shulman, my, whatever, my art or my coaching package is worth it. What they are trying to decide, if they... If they're worth it. And that's where you have, when you believe in them, you and you believe in them more than they believe in themselves, that helps. So understanding what's going through their mind is they're not, it's not about you. It's about themselves. They're trying to decide if they're worth investing in, if they're worth buying this thing or investing in this program or whatever it happens to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I feel like this is so relevant to really any business owner, but I, like, I feel like I'm so far like, okay, I feel like I should read this book and I'm not artistic at all, like not in a creative space, but um, I guess it's so, certain certain of these like principles or like ideas really, really span any kind of
1: business, I kind of think. Yeah. If you're a business person, it, you're creating something out of your imagination because it didn't exist yeah. before you thought of it true so you are a creative person whether you want to acknowledge it or not it's not about <laughs> how well you draw
0: okay good point so really we could all go read your book when it comes out that's right
1: <laughs> <laughs> we can drop the url <laughs> just kidding.
0: what um so tell me like what was the process of like writing a book like how did you decide to go from well I guess yeah actually maybe we just continue with your story so then you decided to start embracing your art more basically and then are we gonna yeah start there because i'm just curious about like your
1: whole journey okay so it was 20 years ago when i be, or more I mean, so you think about when 9 11 was that's pretty much when i um began my art business but about and, and i was doing well and i was selling my portraits mostly word of mouth And about 10 or 11 years ago, so about halfway through my journey, somebody on Etsy said, do you, do you have an online class? Mm. And 10 years ago, it doesn't seem that long ago, but in online years, it's like dog years. Yeah. I was like, what's an online class? I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. 2012. I I was like, I don't know. And yeah, there was none of that. I feel like. Right. Like now we take it all for granted. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I don't know what that is. I didn't tell. I didn't tell the Etsy person, I don't know what it is. I just said, okay, who's doing that? I want to check them out. So once I checked it out, I was like, my eye just lit up because what I was doing when I was working on wall street is I was in technology. So I was like, Oh, I can do this. And it was so much fun. But at first I did struggle because I didn't understand the basics of building an email list. And we did have social media then and people did see our posts back then, but I didn't have much luck just putting a few posts out on social media so that's when i learned to build an email list so it's about 10 years ago and building the email list and building and all the skills i was learning on how to market my online class also made my art business more successful Mm -hmm. and my art class business more successful so that was a crucial pivot point for me It was about 10 years ago when i really learned how to leverage online marketing via the email list and now we're here today. Why? So the next question you, you asked me in the beginning is why I decided to write a book. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. So 2020 felt very much like the same time as 9-11 for me. It, it recognized the same kind of feeling that a lot of people were, were looking for more meaning in their life. And... I was doing some of this introspection myself, and I decided I wanted to write a book. And I wanted this to be a book that can help the people who were part of that great resignation. So millions of people walked away from their jobs, many of them turned to um, building creative professions. So Etsy saw the seller swell to 5 million from about three and a half million. So they almost doubled their size, millions of people forming these creative businesses. So there was this perfect confluence of people looking for more meaning in their life in terms of what they want their life to be, as well as whenever you have existential crisis like a world war like a global pandemic like 9-11 terrorism whenever these things happen art becomes more important than ever because art gives our life meaning so we have this perfect storm of people wanting to make a living from their creativity and people needing the art that they're making. And I wanted to share what I've been doing for the last 20 years, which I also teach to my clients, but I wanted to get that message out to as many people as possible and the best ways with a book.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I totally, totally get that. So how long did it take you to actually write the book? I I imagine since you're already like a creative person, like, (laughs) do you feel like that was a little easier for you? Oh God,
1: no, no. (laughs) you know, basically, so you remember you, I know you have a little one. Do you have more than one? No, just the one he's the one. Okay. Remember when um, people told you that having a baby's hard and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes. then you had a baby. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, writing a book is like being pregnant with an elephant <laughs> <laughs> and elephants are pregnant for 14 months, by the way. And I imagine the labor give birth to an elephant is not easy and so that's that's what the process was like it was very painful that's funny because my
0: son has actually been really into these like national geographic ish shows about elephants right now and they keep saying like the elephant is pregnant for almost two years and then
1: oh like, yeah yeah maybe like, more than 14 months i better look up the actual and fact uh, yeah you know. i i don't know i think i don't know maybe
0: they i think it might be more than 14 but yeah I'm it's just, a long like, oh, time my- <laughs> And then they come out and they're like a gigantic creature, like even the newborn babies.
1: So exactly, exactly. So now that's, so that's what writing a book is like. You're pregnant with an elephant. You have to give birth to an elephant and then you have a baby elephant. (laughs) so like okay okay so it's been a big process it has but it I'm glad I did it has definitely evolved me as a person Um, I really had to face my own demons and my own imposter syndrome uh, with putting making you putting my message out and trusting that trusting in the reader like I said with the belief triad I had to trust yeah. in the in the reader
0: I was literally just thinking that like are you kind of using some of these same principles and ideas of selling art that like to actually market and sell the book itself too?
1: 100 percent. so I mean choose to believe I am an author mm-hmm. the more I say it the more I believe it uh so and then throughout the book i give thought work for some of the most common things that we think that sabotage ourselves and when -hmm. you write them down they sound ridiculous but but this is what people say you know like oh i I can't sell art there's only 30 million people in australia like (laughs) okay you know that's a lot of people you know these so some of the things that i hear and people come up with these stories but but i do it too we all do it that's part of the human condition totally What is, um,
0: can you give us any others, like examples of like the sabotaging things or, or the bigger, biggest problems people come up against? Do you think that you're like, okay, but
1: absolutely. So whenever we're doing some, anything uncomfortable, um, our brain is going to sense that it's dangerous and we've evolved for survival not goal achievement mm-hmm. so when we feel uncomfortable whether that is posting on social media sending an email starting starting a business uh, doing a podcast when you're going to do anything that's uncomfortable you're your brain senses danger it will come up with all the reasons why this is a terrible idea yeah terrible and the thing is is the smarter we are the more the better we are at coming up with these stories Mm. and our brain does not perceive them as excuses so that's why it doesn't help when somebody says stop making excuses because we don't perceive them as excuses Mm. we perceive these as facts these are real you know like the woman who said to me "There's," and i've heard this actually more than once artists who say oh it's hard to sell art in australia there's only 30 million people like she feels like that's a fact is the reason she can't sell art It's like well how many people do you need to buy your art (laughs) so um so when we come up with these um stories what happens next is that we either are going to look for um certainty our brain craves certainty so we are going to either um go into the i don't know like deer in the headlights not do anything i don't know how to do this or believe your story and you don't move forward Or you go into what I call procrastinate learning mode, where you want to research everything to make sure that it's completely perfect so that you don't fail. However, when you go into procrastinate learning mode, you're going to come up with conflicting advice, and now you'll be even more confused, and then you might end up deer in the headlights. Oh, I don't know what to do. Now, if you don't know what to do, what makes sense? Nothing, it doesn't make sense to do anything because your brain is smart and your brain knows you don't wanna waste time doing something that may not work because you've convinced yourself that this is this doesn't work or I don't know if this is the right answer. And that's what leads to procrastination and self-sabotage. Yep, I've seen that all before. Sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: so I can definitely picture what you're talking about. Yeah, so you obviously got into the art thing went like fully in with that and your portraits and then obviously you've kind of alluded to the fact that you also created classes or courses and help other helped other artists even before you wrote this book with kind of working through their stuff to make sure that like to help them create successful art businesses too right
1: yeah so Um, Right after I started the podcast, the Inspiration Place podcast in 2018, I started getting asked for coaching. So just like somebody said, do you have an online class? And I was like, okay. And somebody said, do you coach artists? I was like, okay. (laughs) So I said, yes. And I accepted that as the next, the next phase um, so now I do have uh, artist incubator coaching practice where I help artists of all kinds create a thriving business from their art using the same principles that are in my book Artpreneur.
0: Okay, right. So then it's totally a natural progression to get. Like, let me package some of this stuff up into one book that everybody can just read, rather than. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you still want to work one on one with people too, or or in that group. Um, but that well, makes it's
1: it's point. like this, you know there's lots of weight loss books (laughs) that hasn't kept anyone from signing up for a a weight loss coach. Yeah. So it's like, I can tell you how to do it. That's not going to, that doesn't mean you don't, you're not going to need help, especially since so much of it is our mindset that we get in our own ways. Mm
0: -hmm. That accountability piece, right. Of like actually working with someone and reminding them (laughs) about the mindset thing every day rather than just reading it one time and then moving on kind of. Yes. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And then do you think people are going to like read the book just kind of thinking from like a business standpoint and like a sort of a marketing standpoint? Like I know a lot of people kind of write a book with the idea that, oh, people will randomly pick up this book because they see it and it's related to their, you know, what they're doing. And then maybe they'll actually then come out and seek, seek me out more and join like the incubator or do some coaching or even just listen to your podcast or things like that. Like it's kind of part of that whole.
1: Yeah, but I know that uh, just just like the podcast, there's thousands of people who listen to the podcast, but only a couple hundred who join my program. It's like, uh, you know, like one, mm-hmm. one to two percent, which is pretty much a, a rule of thumb in industries. And it's going to be the same thing with the book. There's going to be thousands of people who buy the book and only a small percentage is going to um, come and take the next step with me. And I'm totally fine with that, but I love being able to do all the things. It's so fun for me to have the podcast. And yes, it's a great, great way for me to also find new clients, but it's also a good way for me to help people who can't afford my coaching practice. Or yeah. don't want to pay, you know, to use that word, can't afford. I like to use choose not to pay, to pay and invest in, by the way. That's what I think it's more empowering both for ourselves uh, when we talk about things. For example, I don't have a Chanel bag. I choose not to invest in a Chanel bag. and But to always use that kind of language when we're we're choosing not to pay for something, not I can't afford it or it's too expensive because I feel that language is disempowering to us
0: don't you think yeah i like that i think that's a good way to think about it and it's true i mean obviously there are definitely instances where you truly can't afford something but yeah usually it's not a priority at the moment or you know there's other things you'd rather spend your money on or whatever that is but um yeah i mean i love the accessibility of a book and i think that it does have the chance to change people's lives even if it is just to then a year from then or three years from them, then end up being able to take part in something else that you do or, you know, dive in deeper. I've totally read books that have really changed the trajectory of something I'm working on, or, you know, where my business is headed, or things like that, just from like, you know, a $15 book. So yeah. I, I love that. I think that there's, there's so much potential there. Um. So yeah, no, I think it's I just think it's really cool when somebody has written a book (laughs) (laughs) i just think it's like a really i mean congratulations seriously it's it's a really big feat as we already talked about but
1: thank you i think
0: it's very cool so and i hope everybody will check it out um you talked about you or you didn't talk about but you have have talked about a passion to profit framework i wanted to ask you about too for a minute because again i mean i feel like not like i feel like that's one of the big things right is how do we make money as an artist or as a creative person or in anything really like I feel like that's what people want to know <laughs> It's like you how, can know, I how make to sure I make money, so money. <laughs> right <laughs> I wanted to, want to like at least make sure I st- asked you about that a little bit even if I don't know maybe it's more than we can like dive into too deep right now but give us a little overview of like what that framework looks like
1: sure I'd be happy to so there are five pieces that form uh, the foundation of any thriving business whether that is art or medicine or coaching or or shoes, or whatever it happens to be. So the five are uh, production, what are you producing? Are you creating something that's memorable and marketable? And for that, there's nine steps in the book that that go through how do you embrace your inner weirdo to make sure you're making something that is marketable and will stand out. Mm. The next thing is pricing. And for pricing, I go through 14 lessons, how to think like an abundant artist, not a starving artist, an abundant artist. And this pulls research that is completely up to date using how our buying habits have changed even in the past few years because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic and the growth of Amazon and Uh, how people are more conscious consumers, especially since the death of George Floyd and the social justice movements that followed. Mm -hmm. So that is production, pricing. The next piece I alluded to earlier is prospecting, which is really relying not on social media. I lay a very strong case out not to rely on it. And now, looking back, with what's happening in the book, I'm so glad that I stuck by my guns. It was like, no, this is the way to do it. Email is the way to do it. Because I got a lot of pushback from my editors about that. Why aren't you teaching them how to sell art on TikTok? Really? And now, what's happening in the news? I mean, Elon Musk, I don't know if he's going to blow up Twitter or not, but it's not in alignment with my values. Right. And with TikTok, Uh, there's legislation that Mark Rubio is putting forth that has bipartisan support to ban TikTok in the United States. So social media is just not a reliable option. So it just changes so much so fast too, I feel like that's
0: tough to talk about in a book that you want people to be able to be buying like even a year from now.
1: And that's right. That's right. That's the other thing. It was like, there's things like, do I share this? But it may not be working. Like uh, there's some tactics I use now, of course, but tactics aren't, Evergreen, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, well, I mean, you're preaching to the choir because I mean, as I said, I have a PR agency, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, social media is the only marketing you need." <laughs> like, you know, there are like a lot of marketing companies or people out there who like they call themselves a marketing company, and social is the only thing that they actually do. Like, that's their only service. And I'm like, you guys,
1: no, like, be <laughs> no, I made so much more money this month since I've been leaning hard into publicity than I did on um, just relying on Facebook ads. And I'm so glad that publicity really is working because now I feel so much freer that I don't have to depend on Facebook ads because they are are so unreliable. I, I feel like, yeah, everything related to
0: social is so unreliable and you can get super lucky and you can get, you know, something to go viral all of a sudden or or to get a ton of sales off of one ad or something like that but it seems like it's always a bit of a fluke and then things change so fast that you can't necessarily replicate it or rely on it and I mean believe me things in the PR world change really quick too but it's kind of like because we're used to always like I don't know we're always kind of trying different things and we're not just putting all of our eggs in one basket in the same way that it just feels like yeah, when it comes to publicity there are a lot of different options and a lot of different ways to get in front of different audiences and Yeah, I've been telling people that for years. (laughs) And there there was a while in there where everyone was like, yeah, but no, the social stuff, it's really working. That's all I need. And I was like, okay. It was. People are like realizing that's not the case.
1: No, it was. But now it's what I call the death of the scroll. So if you're on TikTok or Instagram Reels, they are um, pushing the next video before you finish the last one. So that means the person watching it is not taking time to engage with the creator and you can follow somebody on TikTok and never see their posts ever again. So I have a client who posted a a reel on Instagram that went somewhat viral. She got like 45,000 views on it. She didn't make any sales from it and she only got a couple of new followers. So all that time, and it was a viral reel and it still didn't yield the results she wanted right i think people watching a video like doesn't mean anything no that's why i call it the death of the scroll because they always want you to move to the next thing they just want to keep you on there for entertainment yeah they only care about themselves as a platform
0: I think that's so.
1: right that's okay right. i didn't mean to derail that. no it's okay i can get really passionate about me too clearly. Throwing rocks at social media okay <laughs> So we, we, we covered production, pricing, prospecting. The next one is promotion, but I don't actually mean promotion. I mean, closing sales. I think actually one of the problems is just promotion begins with the letter P. Uh, <laughs> some people can conflate their marketing with their sales and that can be a problem. But promotion is really that that pillar is about the step-by-step guide to closing sales. And I take everyone through a nine-step process and I do both a in-person version as well as the virtual version, what that might look like for you. And then the final pillar is productivity. So setting goals, making sure you're, you're doing, the right not it's not about getting as much done as possible it's about getting the right things done and so if you're not wasting time creating viral reels on social media and instead you're focusing on the things that really matter getting publicity and building your email list you will have more time in your life whether that is for your creativity or for your family or for yourself yeah oh yeah no i love it that's okay.
0: So the 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 passion to profit framework—it's all of those Ps. I love the alliteration. Cool. So that's I imagine is that stuff that's you go into in the book too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's like a chapter for each of those, and I be- I think there's two chapters on selling, on closing sales. So the step by step process, as well as um, overcoming objections. And then there's a chart of words to use on your website and your marketing copy and words to avoid that are, um, can, are triggers for people that can be a turn off. Ooh. So like something
0: that would make them like, maybe they were interested in buying your art or something, but if you have certain words, they might like
1: Actually, yeah. exactly. So, for example, an easy one to share with your audience is the word buy is actually has a negative connotation B U Y. And that's why you will see a lot of marketers say the investment is, or you invest mm-hmm. in the program uh, for, for artists. You would say collect this art. So, substituting words that don't ha- carry the same negative connotation can be a powerful thing in your marketing copy. Interesting. So people don't necessarily want to feel like they're buying something or being. That's right. Because buying has that feeling of something is being taken away from you, but mm-hmm. investing in, it has a more positive connotation. Good to know.
0: Interesting. Okay. Oh my gosh. I feel like you have so much wisdom in this book. I feel like <laughs> there's so many nuggets of like nuggets of value that we need. I love it. Okay, well, is there anything else um that we should know about the book? I think this episode's going to go live. Well, I'll tell I'll say this at the very end, I guess, but um I have two more things I want to ask you, but I, I do think this episode is going to go live, like right before the book comes out, like mm-hmm. or maybe in a couple days or like the next week. So I'm really excited. If anyone's listening to this, you can go look this up right now and get a hold of the book. I always ask people though, Miriam, um, is there one thing that you, or what would be the one thing that you wish you had known more about when you first started your business?
1: Oh, I wish I had built an email list from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That's an easy one. So, you know, I said I started it 10 years in. Hmm. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh.
0: So how? Um. Just super quick. How do you think you would have started it, or what did you do to first get it started? Like, if somebody here is listening and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I haven't started an email list," or maybe it exists but nobody ever signs up for it, or whatever. You know? How did yeah, you? Yeah. Get- it, it, like, exactly what we before. started
1: talking about. Tell everybody that you are what it is. You know. Tell mm-hmm. everybody, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. I'm a life coach. I'm whatever it is. Start that conversation, and I carry with me what I call um, email intake postcards and they look basically the way it looks when you p- pick up a magazine. those little blown out cards is yes, subscribe me to your magazine. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. so people fill them out with their name and their email address and I I would just collect them. but what I do is of course, I'm offering something. Usually I keep it very simple so with for art it's actually very easy because people say can I see your art and it's like oh well if you want I can I can invite you to my next show can I have your email address oh okay see? so because it's you're having so like, yeah so easy don't over complicate it you don't have to give them a cheat sheet yeah. nothing like that <laughs> um, so yeah there's a lot of ways that you can use to build your email list and that is that is in the book or, or we can talk about now if we have more time. Well, wait,
0: so are you saying though you had like printed up cards and when you would yeah. see someone in person, you would give them the, the, like a postcard to fill out and give back to you.
1: Yeah. Okay. And I, I would say that one, one of the things that we can talk, we should talk about is people ask me, um, About being an artist and a mother, because there's this big myth that you can't be both, Mm. or you can't be a businesswoman and a mother. And Mm. I don't know about you, but I found being a mother was one of my greatest assets uh, because I'm constantly networking with other mamas. Mm -hmm. So, and every and just building into these authentic relationships. I'm not saying that you're selling to your friends, but you're sharing with your friends Mm -hmm. and and the, the new people you meet what you do. And if you are passionate about it, they will be interested in hearing more. Right. So I always found that being a mom was one of my greatest assets to building my business and starting that foundation of people who were in, who also cared about what I was doing. Yeah,
0: that's a great point and a great way to look at it. And I think, yeah, I mean, again, not to keep bringing up my own experience too, but I totally agree because people are like, well, I don't know where to start. Like with yeah, getting yourself out there. And I'm like, it's authentic relationships. Like, don't think about, Like, I think we almost start going... We hear so much about, like, you know, the tricks for selling and, like, whatever. And getting yourself out there online that you... People sort of don't even, like, consider the fact that you, it actually can be stronger to start in person. Like, start with the people you actually know and, like, That's are right. actually around. And sometimes people really don't think of that they think business has to be taking place online or it's, like, somehow not... I don't know, like not real or not part of it or doesn't fit in. But I, I love that you actually had like postcards printed up to have people join yeah. your list. Like I just think that's so. And
1: anytime I had something, I had a, a handful of postcards in in my bag to hand out. Anytime I had a show. But I would, I even use postcards now in the online world. So when I would have a webinar, I would identify who are my 200 hottest people on my list who have maybe bought something from me in the past, but not the thing that I'm going to be offering on the webinar. Mm-hmm. I would send them save the date postcards for my webinar. So these things that these tangible things, things that happen in the real world, things that you can touch and see mm-hmm. are so much more powerful than anything you're doing online yes it's so true i mean there's a handful of people who
0: like send even just like around the holidays which like as we're recording this we're almost at the ho- we're i guess in the holiday season um but i remember last year i got like you know a printed actual like holiday card or some kind of like recognition or something that was just you know people you mostly interact with online but just sending something through the mail is actually so much more eye catching these days and makes it think like oh they actually really thought of me. And like, you know, it just feels much bigger now since everything is all online, I think. So people really do notice that and like pay attention to it more.
1: And there's no spam filter on your mailbox. (laughs) (laughs) And it will sit around on someone's kitchen counter or, you know, for a while, or if you're, counter looks anything like mine a lot longer than, you know, been around for a long time. So when it comes over for the next three months, we'll see the postcards. Exactly. But like you think about social media that you just swipe by for two yeah. seconds. And how long did you spend on Canva building that thing? Yeah. Or even email. I mean, most of the time it's not even opened
0: or it's opened for one second and you never find it again in your inbox. Like yeah. You
1: but we, we should circle back to that because one of the things that I hear is I'll say, okay, the engagement rate on Instagram. Well, when I first started writing the book, it was 1%. By the time I went to edit that section, it had dropped to 0.6% is the average engagement rate. And if you're an influencer, you're doing better, but that engagement rate is only 1.18%. 1.18% for an influencer. So then people say to me, yeah, but not everyone opens my emails. Okay, here's the difference. In email the person who you're sending it to they decide whether or not they're opening it or not on instagram nobody decides but the algorithm mm-hmm. so you don't have control over that and you're and the person you're sending it to doesn't have control over that right so the average open rate on on email is 18% and if you're really good at sending emails and have good subject lines your your open rate will be more so right. or that's a much better actually like care about like there i mean i do like and i do open
0: most emails like unless it's like a blatant sales thing that i know i don't need you know but yeah. if it's even if even if i know it's like a marketing email from someone or i know it's you know just like a something from an email list i still open it mostly because it's like i either know that i signed up and Partly because, uh, you know, I am in the marketing world and I feel for people's open rates. (laughs) Usually, like, (laughs) I'm a little abnormal in that. Like, I literally will just click on something just to make sure it says it was opened, even if I don't look at it. But yeah, no, I mean, I think people are a lot more likely. It's like, yes, you made a choice to follow them on Instagram. But if you made a choice to let them come into your inbox, I think that is even more um, valuable. Like they say people, you know, people are even more discerning about who they'll give their email address to than who they're going to follow on social. But even more what you said is like the you, you social, they're still probably not even see it. Right. Whereas on email, they're probably going to open it or at least have it in there or if they search for you at some point or yeah, even if they kind of skimmed over it and glanced, they'll kind of know they saw it and might revisit it if and when they do want to take part. All of those kinds of things that I feel like don't happen as much on social. That's right. Yeah, so basically moral of the story is find some creative ways to <laughs> to build your email list, <laughs> get people on the email list and then interact with them on there. Yeah. Is there any any other like word of advice? Like your your last ma- or major or biggest piece of advice for other entrepreneurs,
1: whether they're in the creative space or not, but just yeah. So I I end the book, Artpreneur, with this keep marching forward. Mm -hmm. So that's just keep taking one step in front of the other, not marching in place, not running in place, but keep taking forward action and don't blame your boots. And what I mean by that is don't blame the circumstances. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's
0: good. That's, I mean, I've heard like that the concept before, I guess, but I've never actually heard that exact um, word of advice. So I love it, thank you so much. Um, okay, well tell people how they can find you, where they can, um, if, if you know yet where they can buy the book or how they can find the book, um, assuming that they could go buy it shortly after listening to this, if not now, um, and how else they can connect with you in general, um, if they want to do that. Sure.
1: So um, if you'd like what you heard today, you can hear more of that on the Inspiration Place podcast. Mm-hmm. And I do have a free chapter for anyone who wants to check out the book. It is shulmanart.com forward slash believe I will send you chapter one or if you want to find me on Instagram, I am there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if you DM me the word believe. <laughs> There may or may not be a bot who's going to send you send you the chapter. So I'm uh, Shulman Art over on Instagram. And the book is available on all the places, Barnes & Noble, um, Amazon. If you're overseas, you don't have to pay uh, overseas shipping if you get it from bookdepository.com. We've listed all those places on artpreneurbook.com. And we do have some bonuses if you pre-order the book. From, and, and just give me the order number. It doesn't We don't care where you get it from, but if you go over to artpreneurbook.com and enter your name and email and your order number and we'll set you up with some fabulous pre-order bonuses.
0: Oh, awesome. Love it. So people can go or literally pre-order right now, even if the book is
1: not technically out when this comes out, they can- Yeah. We'll if you order it like on. through one of those places like Amazon, it will literally be on, on your doorstep on January 31st
0: perfect okay so everybody listening to this go to the link in the show notes and buy and pre-order the book and then go to the other link we'll also link where you can go put your information in to get those bonuses and then also go to instagram i would say go download the the go download the free chapter on the website and also Get it from Instagram because then you'll be in both places, right? <laughs> or like follow on Instagram and get on the email list because then, as we've said, you'll be more likely to actually see the things, and, and you can like... learn
1: from my tactics. Like, see how I have everything set up.
0: No, that's what I was literally just thinking too. I was like, I'm like really impressed. They like just yeah. That if you text, if you, I know, I know that's like pretty a thing now. But if you put the word belief, message the word believe, you'll get automatic it'll happen. I
1: love it. Well, in people who um, are interviewing me who read like through the entire book, there is one part where I say, don't code a bot, like be authentic. And here I am with a coded bot. So but I was finding that I was acting like a bot on Instagram. Like I would, people would send me the word believe and I would had a canned response. I would send back to them. It's like, well, if I'm acting like a robot, I might as well have a robot well do it. Automate it and then focus on yeah. other things. I mean, yeah, I think we can
0: all appreciate that there are instances where it makes sense. That's and. Right. You know, you got to use the tools sometimes where they, where they will really be helpful. And it's, it's helping the person, the other person on the other end too. That's right. Because they're going to get it probably like immediately and not have to wait till you're around to message. So we can appreciate that, I think. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was really fun to talk to you today. And I wish you so much success with this book and everything that you're going to be able to help um, change all these Entrepreneurs' lives. I feel like through all the information you're giving people, it can tell you're so, so knowledgeable. So thank you for sharing well, thank, some
1: of that with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It was an honor.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast, wherever you listen. So you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes. So other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you've heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes or online at quotablemediaco.com slash podcast. If you want to join the community of other female millennial entrepreneurs, join our Facebook group by searching female millennial entrepreneurs on Facebook. Talk to you soon and see you there.